So today we're going to begin what really could be a daunting task, but a daunting in a sense of it's, it's, it's big, it's a challenge, not, not easy and fluffy, but one that I think if we will embrace will change us. So every time I preach the book of the Bible, and I've done this for, for most of my life, um, and I've done it a number of times here, I always challenge you to do this. In addition to your normal Bible reading, begin to just live in the book of Ephesians. It's going to take us quite a while to get through. Um, I don't know how long, but it's going to take us quite a while. And um, begin just, just, just to live in the book of Ephesians. In addition to the other reading, just daily read from the book of Ephesians so it begins to, to literally become part of who you are. Okay? And so let's begin our exploration of the book of Ephesians together. And for today, we're, today we're only going to look at one verse. Now you're sitting there going, oh no, <laughs> one verse. We may be here till Jesus returns. We might be. But sometimes we'll take a much bigger section, but we're going to find out there's a reason for only taking one verse today. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. You might as well stick a bookmark in Ephesians because we're going to be there a lot. Now, doesn't mean we'll never break into this. Doesn't mean like we won't say, oh, I want to speak a few weeks on something else and take a little break from it because we feel compelled to do something else. But we're going to just focus on Ephesians for quite a while now. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, by the way, somebody asked me recently, what translation do you read because they want to follow along? I generally use the New American Standard Bible, considered the best word-for-word translation that there is. That's why I use it. So just in case you're wondering, you say, oh, I read the NIV. My word's a little bit different. I usually use the NAS. So, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. That's all we're going to read for today. The reason why we're only going to read that today is I want you to understand something about this first verse that maybe you didn't think of before or never heard. Um, The first verse, and a lot of of the letters from Paul are like this, starts off with um, like a tag. When you give Christmas gifts, do you put the little tag on them? You know, you either cut a piece of, of the same color wrapping paper out and you fold it in half and you say, from or to, and Suzanne says, no, you don't do that. You take a little tag that we buy. I cut a piece of paper out. And, 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 you, and it's got the little string on it, and it's got the little from and little to on it, and you've got to fill it out. So it's from grandpa to grandson, or it's from Mark to Suzanne. You know? Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, that's what this is. Chapter 1, verse 1, is the tag on the Christmas gift or the gift of the book of Ephesians. It's the from to tag. It simply says it's from the Apostle Paul and it's to the Christians at Ephesus. And it includes a lot more in there, which we're going to take the time this morning to look at. But that's what the first verse is. Well, we kind of take it on its own. It's just a from to tag on the, on the whole gift that we're going to look at. It says this, it's from who? It's from Paul. Um, and he doesn't just say, my name is Paul. In a very brief one sentence, he lays out his credentials. For us, the most important things about himself. He says that I am Paul, the apostle, by the will of God. I want to just think about what that means for a second. First of all, this is a really important for us to remember here. Because what we are about to explore in the months that we're going to look at it um, was written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by probably the most important figure in Christian history outside Jesus himself is the apostle Paul. This is the guy, Paul, who at one time was called Saul of Tarsus, 
and he was a religious leader of the Jews who passionately spent his time seeking to imprison or kill anyone who followed Jesus. Now, has anybody been watching this series on TV called A.D.? Anybody? I think they've done a phenomenal job of depicting Paul. You ever remember the scene? Did you see the scene where they're going through the desert and he's going to be going to Damascus when he meets Jesus on the Damascus road? And they're like trying to keep up with them and they're going so fast with the guy riding the horse, the horse finally falls over and Paul's just chugging through the desert because he's, he's just incensed with finding those people that he thinks are criminals because he thinks they're fighting against Judaism and he's so devout to trying to root out what he thinks is false doctrine and a false belief. He wants to kill this crazy, upstart, false schism that he thinks of Judaism called Christianity. And I think they did a great job of depicting him. He's just this, this driven guy. So there's Paul. Here's the one who, he's at first his name is Saul of Tarsus, and he spends his time hunting down and imprisoning Christians. And one day, matter of fact, that scene I'm talking about depicts that. He's marching on to another city, Damascus, where he's heard there's Christians hold up, and he's got documentation from the religious leaders saying, I can imprison all the Christians I find. And on route, what happens? It says this bright light shines, Scripture says. And it knocks him to the ground, and it blinds him. And it says everybody around him hears the voice, but they don't know what it says. And it blinds him, and he can't see, and they, they take him into town, and he's, he says he's praying. And he actually asks on that road, and he says, like, who are you? And the Lord Jesus speaks to him and says, I'm Jesus, why are you persecuting me? And imagine this. Jesus, remember what the timing, Jesus had already lived, had already died, had already rose from the dead, and already ascended into heaven. And now Jesus returns in, a, in, a, in some kind of a bodily form and appears to Paul, and Paul is blinded, and he goes to a city, to, to Damascus, where a, a believer named Ananias then comes and lays hands on him and prays for him. He receives his sight, and he's commissioned by God to go and take the gospel message to somebody they never believed possible, to non-Jewish people, people called Gentiles, you and me, because most of us are Gentiles. Very few of us are Jewish by nationality. So we're the reason, Paul's the reason why we ever hear the gospel. So Saul, because of this encounter, becomes a follower of Christ, but not just a follower of Christ, he becomes a mighty preacher who ends up writing over half of the New Testament by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Interestingly, writes almost all of it while he's locked in prison, Sometimes we don't get why we go through things. People could say, it makes no sense to put Paul in jail, God. It made perfect sense to put Paul in jail. Because every time he put him in jail, he wrote another book or two. And if he wouldn't have been in jail, he would have been just running around preaching, 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 preaching. But God says, no, I need you to write because 2,000 years later, people in Port Washington have to know the truth. So God says, I'm going to lock you up. Sometimes you feel like you're locked in jail. And God's just saying, i got a plan bigger than you than you really realize right now. It may be a physical problem. It may be a whatever problem. Life's not the way you think it is. God's got you in the palm of his hand. And he says, i got something bigger for you a lot of times. So here he, Paul, um, you know, says about himself what's the most important thing about himself. He says, you know what? I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. And here in the context of this, of this thing, because apostle is used really two different ways in the New Testament, this use of the word apostle has a very strict closed meaning. It means someone who had seen the risen Christ, and Paul did on the road to Damascus, right? And had been then sent by him to spread the message of the gospel as an establisher of the church, sent with authority to establish. That's how the word is used here. And Paul 
What he's trying to do is he's putting the from tag on here. He's saying, I'm Paul, and I want to make it clear from the beginning that I'm an apostle, but there's a, there's, there's a reason. I'm going to just call myself an apostle. He said, I am what I am by the will of God. He's trying to communicate this. It's all God's idea. He's saying, God chose me. He's opened, God knocked me to the ground. God made me an apostle, and God sent me with the gospel message primarily to Gentile people. And what he's trying to say from the very first line is, something that we need to pay attention to, it was all about God. He's trying to say, I'm an apostle, but I'm not an apostle because I'm just wonderful. I'm not an apostle because I'm smart. I'm not an apostle because I wanted to be. I'm an apostle by the will of God. It's all about God. What Paul does, I think why God used him so much, he takes no credit. He wasn't looking uh, for any praise. He just wanted to elevate God and to spread his message because he understood that the one I persecuted is really the Savior of the world. It was all about God. So he lays out in his from tag, he lays out his credentials right up front and says, you know what? By God's choice, I am God's messenger and I have a message for you is what he's saying. I have a message for you so you need to listen to what I have to say. That's what he's saying to us today. In the very from to tag, He's saying to you and me, listen, what I've got to say to you is really worthwhile. So you need to pay attention. So that's the, the from side. Um, now let's talk about the to side. Because the whole rest of our time together, we're just going to talk about it's from Paul, but, but who's it to? This is so important for us to get. It says this letter is to the saints who are in Ephesus. And I think the, the first thing to note about this is that it's written to Christians, and I said ordinary Christians, who live in this particular city. Now, we do know that these are circular letters, so they also went to other cities. They reread the same thing, but this is specifically addressed. It was probably written with a, ga- a blank, and this one literally said Ephesus written in it. And it would be, then another blank one would be sent to another city. But this one is saying the letter was from Ephesus. And I think the location of where this letter was going is very important and relevant to you and me today. At Portview Church. A lot of times people think, yeah, that's old dusty theology. It's thousands of years old. What's it matter? I think there could be nothing more relevant than to hear what was written to the city of Ephesus then because it applies to us now. Now, See, Paul is writing to Christians who lived in one of the most pagan, spiritually difficult places of his time. Ephesus if you understand what it was, and uh, maybe you don't, but Ephesus was a large and important city um, on the west coast of Asia Minor. Now, when we think of Asia, we think of, of China. That's not Asia Minor in the scriptures. This is, this is modern-day Turkey. It's on the coast of modern-day Turkey. Um, it was the largest city in the region with a population of probably 300,000 people at this time. Now, understand, that was a mega city back then. Because of we, they didn't have sanitation the way we do, um, the cities didn't get large. They couldn't establish large populations because everything would get polluted, the water would get polluted, diseases would spread. And so cities were never large back then. So a city of 300,000, half the size of Milwaukee, was like, you know, this is New York or Chicago. This is just the, the gigantic city in his day. And it was, as that city, it was the center of commerce in the area. It was all the trading went through. It was on a major river on the seacoast. And, and back then, the, the harbor it was on, right now it's silted in, but um, then it wasn't. So it was a major harbor. So this is the center of commerce. And it was also the heart of culture in the entire region. And it's gigantic open theater 
um, that was on one end of town with this huge boulevard that ran all the way to the coast with all these gigantic Roman-like columns that ran down it. That, that, that Colosseum that they had, or that theater, seated 25,000 people. How many people does Miller Park seat? 45,000? So something like that. So half the size of Miller Park, 2,000 years ago, they got an amphitheater that can sit that many people. It was the heart of culture. All the things went on in this, in this giant theater. And it was also the heart of religion of the entire area. In the city of Ephesus, there was a temple to a false god called Artemis. Another name, the Roman name for Artemis is, is Diana. Remember, Paul had problems later so where people were all shouting, you know, protect the god of Diana, the god of Diana. And as a matter of fact, Roman coins had the goddess Diana on it, um, some Roman coins. So this was the heart of pagan religion. This temple of Artemis or Diana was in Ephesus. But the temple of, Art- of Artemis was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was huge. It had 127 of these stone columns that, were, that supported the temple. And the columns were 197 feet tall. Imagine that. Think of like the Roman Colosseum. It's that kind of a structure. 127 columns in this temple, uh, 200 feet high, holding up this huge structure, for all dedicated to worship of this false god, Diana, or Artemis. And, and the worship of Diana of Ephesus, which we see other places in the book of Acts, controlled the entire city. It was a city that was hostile to the worship of any other god. That's so important. It was hostile to the worship of any other god except for Diana of Ephesus. So imagine it. This is the city that prior to Paul's writing this letter, he had spent three years planting a church there. The longest period of time Paul spent at any town in his entire ministry was in Ephesus, planting a church. And it said he had a, a Bible college basically ran there, the school of Tyrannius, and it said it spread the gospel to the entire region. So he spends all this time there in this, the worst of the worst place establishing a city. And what I think is so relevant to us about this is that Paul intentionally went to the hardest place to establish the church. And it should say something to us. He did not look for the place that seemed easy. Isn't that the way we usually do stuff? Let's take the path of least resistance. When he looked to where to take the gospel, he did not take the path of least resistance. He took the gospel to the heart of paganism. He did what evangelical church is doing, saying, where's the worst neighborhood? We'll go there with the gospel. That's what we should do. You know, we don't have any places like that too bad around here, but we should go to the places that are... Where, because. In the darkest place, the light shines the brightest. And so he, he didn't look for the places that seemed easy. He took the gospel to the heart of paganism and he established the church because he knew something. He knew that, that, that the only hope for their darkness was the light of the gospel. He knew something else. He knew that nothing, no person, no false god, no demon could stop the advancement of the kingdom of God. And friends, I think this ought to speak to us. Around the world... It's getting more and more difficult to take the gospel. Our missionaries are finding that. It should not stop us from moving forward. We should never look at a place and go, that's too hard of a place. Paul said, I'll go to the hardest place. And even in our own country, it is getting more and more difficult to speak about Jesus. And sometimes our temptation is to say, well, I should just keep my mouth shut. Friends, that should not stop us. 
We need to be like the Apostle Paul here and all the rest of the just average ordinary Christians in Ephesus and advance the kingdom everywhere, especially in difficult places. Because what was true then is true today. Nothing can stop God. Nothing, right? Nothing can stop God. And so Paul, the reason he, I think it's so key that he says, I'm right in Ephesus because that city speaks to this. Now, I want you to notice something else about this tag, this introduction. It's not only to Ephesus that, that this introduction is. Um, he knows that they live in this tough place called Ephesus. And by the way, I think we need to understand this. All places are tough, spiritually. But some just lull Christians to sleep because of little overt conflict. I've lived in the buckle of the Bible Belt in Springfield, Missouri, where there was literally a church in every corner. It's tough there. I've lived in the deep south where Christianity, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where Christianity is simply part of the culture. And I want to tell you this. Um, every place is tough, but there's some places, and I think Port Washington can be one of those places, where Christians are just lulled to sleep because there's little overt conflict associated with being a Christian. But Paul here, he's writing to people who are not in a place like Port Washington. He knows in Ephesus, it's an in-your-face, tough kind of place to live for Christ. So in the very beginning here, he uses some terms to remind, as a matter of fact, three terms to remind these Christians of who they really are living in Ephesus because he wants to remind them and reassure them that they can do it, they can make it, that they are equipped by God and empowered by God to live for God no matter how hard the place that they're living in is. Sometimes, friends, we just need to be reminded of the truth of who we are so that we can live out our destiny, live out the truth that God intends for us. So I want us to look at these three terms in this little tag in the beginning because they not only describe those Ephesian believers, but they also describe all genuine followers of Christ. They remind you of how wonderful and powerful it is to be a Christian, to be an overcoming Christian who can live in any place in victory. So he uses three terms to describe who every believer is in Christ, hard place or apparent easy place, who we are so that we can fulfill our destiny. The first thing he says this is they're all what? They're all saints. He said you live in the saints who live in Ephesus. Saints to the saints who are at Ephesus. Now I've got a question for you. Is Paul addressing a group of superstar Christians with this term? Um, you know, maybe the early church had recruited and trained an elite church planting team to go to Ephesus, the Navy SEALs of Christianity, to go to this really hard place. Is that what he's saying here? Not at all. He's writing to saints, he says, but what he's writing to is just ordinary, everyday followers of Jesus. They're farmers, and they were laborers, and they were merchants, and they were mothers, and they were fathers. But Paul looks at him and says, what I see you as is you are saints. Now I know this could be a real challenge for some of you in here, for some of us because of our things we've been taught in our, in our lives. Kind of been taught already maybe in religious circles that saints are a special class of Christians who had, um, were known for having great character and did great things. And I say this, that might be well and good to acknowledge people and recognize people with great character, with great accomplishments. But Scripture does not use the term saints to describe a super class of Christians. It's not at all what it does. Saints are describing a very real part of every person who's a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's this. 
in Scripture, saints are people who have been separated from the world and consecrated to the worship and the service of God. Repeat that again. People who are saying, I've come to know Jesus and now I am separated from this world around me, in a sense. We live in the world but not of the world and consecrated or dedicated to the worship and the service of God. In other words, God is now the center of their universe. They're no longer the center of their own universe. And in the Bible, that term is used to describe not just a superclass, but all believers. It says that we, as people who follow Jesus, are saints. And as a saint, sometimes we've got to recognize who we are. That you, if you come to Christ, are consecrated to God and committed to lives of purity because you belong to the one who purifies and sanctifies you. Because of Jesus' forgiveness and, and transformation, we are new and different people. People who are now committed to lives devoted to Jesus and desiring um, to live lives of purity. He's saying that's what you are as a child of God. That's who you are. You are a saint. As a Christian, the Bible says this about you. You are set apart unto God. You're separated from your old life and your old ways, and you're given over to a new life in Christ. He says you're a saint if you're a follower of Jesus. And we all need to remember this when we're tempted um, or we're in trouble, when problems come. Because what we say is, you know what? I know who I am in Christ. I'm a saint. I'm set apart to God. And God designs me to be an overcomer, to live a life of freedom and a life of purity. No more excuses for bad behavior. You know, something that I think we do that... that that, a lot, that leads us to failures, we say something like this, well, I'm no saint after all. Have you ever said that about yourself? Most of us have. We say, well, I'm no saint after all. Guess what? That's wrong. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a saint after all. That's what he's saying. He said, you, have been, you are devoted to me and set apart as unto me. And, and you say, yes, we can live our lives according to his plan because we're a saint. And we can live like um, a saint by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. So the first thing we see about this, that Paul's writing to these people in a really hard place. He goes, I want to remind you who you are so that you can make it in a hard place. First thing he says is, you know what? You're a saint. You're set apart. Then he goes on in his little tag. The second thing he says about them is this. He says, you know what? You're not only a saint, but you're faithful. And this is an an interesting term here that's used in this text here, the word faithful. The word translated faithful, which means full of faith, that makes sense, right? Full of faith, is the same word translated believing in other places in the New Testament. For example, uh, this word is translated believed in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 27, when Jesus was rebuking Thomas for not believing that he had been resurrected until he felt his hands in the street. Remember that story? God appears to all the disciples except for Thomas, and they go, Thomas, Thomas, guess what? Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. And he goes, I don't believe it. Until I put my hands in the holes in his side and feel the holes in his hand, I won't believe it. Well, that, that inter- interaction, verse 27, says this. Because, Jesus speaking, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed, but blessed are they that have not seen me and have yet believed. That's the word for faithfulness here. The term implies being faithful or having faith in what you believe. Does that make sense? You believe something so much that you have confidence in it. That's what he's talking about. Paul wants to remind them and us that there are a lot of wrong things that people 
believe in. Is that true in your world? People believe in all kinds of wrong things, but as Christians, we can know the truth, and when we know the truth, we can remain committed to what we believe. So that when we make decisions, we don't say this, well, I feel like this. I feel like I want to do that. We say, as a Christian, I know what I believe, and I must make decisions based upon what I believe, and what I believe is based on the Word of God and Jesus Himself. To be a Christian is to be a believer. It's to believe in certain things and to exercise faith, action, because we believe certain things. Being faithful to what we believe. That's what he's talking about here. You're faithful. As you're in Ephesus, you're going to live in this hard place. You believe certain things. You must be faithful to what you believe. Don't compromise. Follow what you believe. It's the only path to success. And so often what we do in the Christian world is we say we're believers, but then when something arises that really doesn't line up with what we know is too true, we say, yeah, but I don't feel like it or I don't want to. And it always leads to destruction down the path. But friends, we've got to understand, he's saying, be faithful to what you know is true. Be faithful to what you believe. The essence of what Christians believe, friends, centers on one thing. We talked about it all day during worship and communion. The essence of what we believe centers on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Christian, the saint, is one who is full of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And to be loyal to that faith by, pro, by living with him and proclaiming his truth and even defending it, not necessarily arguing about it, but saying, no, you want me to go this way, but I'm going to go the right way because I know this is the way God wants me to go. And holding on to it no matter what the circumstances. That's what Paul is talking about. You're remaining faithful. So he says, you know what, you're saints. You in Ephesus, you want to make it? You in Port Washington, you want to make it? I want to encourage you. You have every tool necessary to make it. You're a saint, and you're faithful to what you believe, and then he throws out one more term. It's the last term we're going to look at today. He says, not only are you a, a saint who's faithful, filled with faith, he says, but you know what? You're in Christ. To the saints in Ephesus who are faithful in Christ. And that's one term here, in Christ. Friends, to me, there is no more powerful and comforting description of Christianity than this. I think it is, for me in my, in my walk with Christ, this is the greatest word picture I ever hold on to. I pray about it every day in my morning confession, this idea of being in Christ. Think about it. To be encompassed by the life and the presence of Christ. To be protected by His reality as I yield to His Lordship. It's belonging to Jesus. It's being united with Jesus. It's being joined with Jesus. It's being enveloped by the presence, the very real presence of Jesus all day, every day. Paul in the book of Colossians um, describes the same thing, the same concept like this. One of my favorite verses in all the New Testament. It says, For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. That's what he's talking about here. Your real life. He's saying, Ephesians, you're going to be challenged. It's going to be tough at times. But understand, your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Imagine this, friends. Imagine what this means in your, in your heart and your mind. I'm hidden with Christ in God. I'm encompassed by His love all the time, every day, no matter what I go, no matter what I faith. I'm encased in His strength, and His power. Nothing can harm me. Nothing can harm you. Why? Because I'm in Christ. In Christ means the believer now lives and acts 
in the sphere of Jesus. We have this conscious communion with Jesus. And in this relationship, our very lives are experienced as a life of Christ living in and around us all the time. We're never separated from Him. We're hidden with God in Christ. Friends, have I found in my life this truth will empower you to face any challenge. It will comfort you in the midst of any struggle. To me, there's no word picture that makes me find more peace and find more comfort and more more willing to walk through any difficulty and any challenge than my idea in my mind, which is painted here, of I'm hidden in Christ in God. I'm in Christ. And I always think of it this way. Nothing can harm me. I I can live faithful to the word. I can live as a saint because I'm in this cocoon of the presence and power of God. And whether you recognize it or not, if you're a Christian, you're in that. But a lot of times we act as though we're not. And we don't don't appropriate the truth to our lives and we just live on our own. And God is saying, but if you'll just abide in me, you'll have this presence and power and strength and safety in me. You are literally in Christ all the time. And that's what he's saying to the church. He's saying, I know it's a tough spot. He's saying, listen guys, I lived there for three years. I know it's tough. But you know what? You can do it. You know why? He says, because I know this about you. He says, you're saints. You're separated under God. Devoted to living holy lives. So if you live devoted to holy life, all the junk that could destroy you isn't there. He says, I know what, not all generally saints, but you're faithful. You're going to be committed to what you know to be true. You believe this, and you're going to act according to your beliefs. And he says, you know what? You're in Christ. You're protected in the, in the strength of the Lord. Friend, that's the truth of who you are as a Christian. And Paul reminds us of the truth. So we can live it out in the midst of a world that is either like here, pretty much ambivalent to what you believe. You're like, I don't really care what you believe. They already believe what they want. It can be the place where they're ambivalent or a place that's hostile. You know what? It gets hostile sometimes. Sometimes your workplace, your family life, they don't want to hear about Jesus. You don't have to keep on badgering, but you can live like a light in the midst of it because you're in Christ. Shine. When opportunities come, share. So he's saying, listen, that's how I want you to make it in in Ephesus. He's saying, that's how I want you to live it, church, in Port Washington. He says, you are saints. You are faithful. And you are in Christ. And I believe this is what he's really, the heart of what he's saying to the Ephesian believers and to us. He's saying, fulfill your destiny. Stop living a subpar life. Sometimes we don't live up here because we think we're down here. Some of you walk through a lot of junk and you think, I'm really down here and I'm worthless. And the Apostle Paul looks at you by the power of the Spirit and says, no, you're not. He says, you're seated in heavenly places. He looks at you and he says, I see a saint. I see someone who's faithful. I see someone who's in Christ. He says, live out your destiny. Stop letting the world define you. Let God define you and live out your destiny in Christ. That's the to and from tag on the beginning of this book. And friends, if it starts off this good, imagine how much better it's going to get as we just allow the Word of God to speak to us over the next however long as we we live in the book of Ephesians. We explore Ephesians together. It's going to be a good ride, right? Amen. Let's stand together this morning.
Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we are starting this journey exploring the truths of this great book inspired by You. And Lord, it just shows us how, from the bottom of the shoot, it shows us how You see us. You don't ever see us as failures. You don't ever see us as weak. You don't ever see us as defeated. You see us as saints. You see us as faithful. You see us as hidden in Christ. And God, I pray this for every person in this room today, that these truths would begin to penetrate. God, for some, there's a hard shell built up from a world of just existing with struggle. There's some fear there, God, that says, I'm kind of afraid to ever open myself up. I might look tough, but really I'm just hiding because I'm, I, I, I've been hurt. God, today, show everyone that you love us, that you want nothing but good for us, that you're the God of second chances. You're the God who has got open arms all the time, and you love your kids. And we don't just stop being your kid because maybe we fall down. You never give up on us. We're your children. And you just want to encourage us to keep on going. You see us as something amazing. God, I pray this, that every person in this place would begin to see this truth about themselves and the people around them. That, God, we wouldn't be filled with judgmentalism. We'd be filled with wonder and awe. Because we look at the people around us in the family of God and go, it's amazing who we are in Christ. We begin to fulfill our destinies. We begin to expect of one another that each other will fulfill our destinies. And even God, when we see a brother or sister who seems to be going in the wrong way, we'll even say to them, God's got something more for you. So Father, thank you for how you see us. Thank you for telling us what you see about us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, help us fulfill our destinies. Now as we're in this attitude of prayer, this openness to the Holy Spirit right now, said it a few times in a few different ways today as our, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I said it during communion. I said it a little while ago. Suzanne actually talked about it. This idea of have I really given my life to Jesus? And I just ask this question as we're in a moment of, of prayer. A moment of just privateness between you and God. Is Jesus your Savior and your Lord? I didn't ask if you go to church. I didn't ask if you're a member of a church. I don't really care about that. I don't think God does either. He cares about does do we really walk with Him? Do we really know Him? Have we ever said, God, I want you to be on the throne of my life. I want you to lead me. I want to be hidden with Christ and God. I want to be in that spot where I'm enveloped by you. Not just adding you on the side once in a while on a Sunday morning or reading a little one-minute devotion during the day sometime and saying, that's all there is to it. No, you got so much more. You want us to really be in you, to abide in you. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what? I need Jesus in my life and I want to I give my life to Christ. I want to give you a chance to respond to that. So if you're here today and our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and just a, a private moment really between you and, and God and me, you say, Pastor Mark, today is the day I want to 
give my life to Christ. The way I want you to just take that step of saying, I want to receive Christ. I want you just to raise up your hand and I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. I just want to see who to pray with today. Just slip up your hand right now and say, Pastor Mark, I'm ready to receive Christ in my life. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you that you love us today. And God, that you see us as saints who are faithful and hidden in Christ in God. And I pray for everyone in this room today, God, that we would walk from this place with our heads held high, not in pride, but in such just joy, knowing that we are in Christ, that we never walk alone, that you have a plan for us, and it's so much bigger than anything this world could offer. So God, just encourage your church today. Let your blessings rise and rest upon us. And God, just walk through us as we live in this world that so many don't know you. Help us to live out our faith in such a way that others will see we can share with them and they can come to find you as Savior and Lord also. So Lord, bless this church, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you, church. It's so good to see you. God has great things to say. I know a whole bunch of people got to run to graduations today. Have a great time celebrating those milestones in your family's lives. If you need prayer today, I'll be here at the end. You're welcome to come on down. But if you're if you feel dismissed by the Lord, God bless you. Have a wonderful day in Jesus. Look forward to worshiping with you again very soon. God bless you.